Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 403 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's show is with John. John is a teacher who travels the world teaching children, hiking trails, and just generally living an adventurous life with type 1 diabetes. Hey, don't forget that nothing you hear on the Juice Box Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This episode is titled Hiking the FOMO Trail, and it is sponsored by Dexcom, Omnipod, and Touched by Type 1. You can go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice to find out more about the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice to get a free no obligation demo of the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. And of course, touchedbytype1.org. My name is John Palmer. I'm originally from coastal California outside Santa Cruz. And my brother was diagnosed with diabetes at, I think it was about 16. Mm-hmm. And then I was a late bloomer and didn't get it till I was about 31. And at that time, I was living and working and teaching abroad. And actually, just when I got diagnosed was when my wife and I had decided to take a year off from teaching. We had met, my wife and I met, uh, she's from Idaho. Mm-hmm. We'd met in Thailand teaching in Bangkok. And then we moved to Cairo, Egypt together. We were teaching and working there. But then we decided to take a year off to try to hike across the United States. And so it's like day three. I'm back in California. I'm getting ready for this big adventure. We're getting married two weeks before we start this big hike. And then I go to this kind of routine um, oral glucose tolerance test that I had been kind of enrolled in with Stanford University. And they're like, hey, things are out of whack. You're, You're not good right now. And then all of a sudden, it all just kind of clicked into place. Like, oh, yeah, I've had glucosuria for six months and that's why I'm so tired and that's why I can't put on weight and it all kind of just suddenly fell into place. All right, John, you've already said a lot, so let's figure some stuff out. Um, So you thought we'll get married and then go for a hike for a long time. Was that just to test the marriage out just to make sure it was right? Right. It's one of those weeding out processes again. Just make sure she really wants to be married with you. If you can be stuck in a tent with somebody for couple thousand miles and yeah you're pretty pretty sure that you guys are gonna get along i i was gonna say you'd probably either be married forever or divorced in three weeks right so right yeah it's a good litmus test that's for sure now you were enrolled in a study at stanford i'm assuming because of your brother at that point yes exactly yeah so i was in trial net which i think is one of the larger ones and so i've been in trial net since i was a early teenager and then every six months or so i'd go to stanford and they would um, just, uh, just give me a big old cup full of sugar water and then just watch my pancreas slowly try to beat it down. Um, and then I went in there that one time and they just came back with this look on their face. I was like, Oh no, this is, that's not the look you want from somebody. And they showed me these huge numbers. I was like, Oh man, this is, yeah. So I'm part of the team now. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, well, yeah, trial that has been on the show before my son's done it. It's uh, a very reputable and, and, you know, great way to, track people who maybe don't have type one diabetes, but 
but could one day they they'll test you now for markers. I think there's five markers that indicate mm-hmm. whether or not you're more likely to get type one diabetes. So did you know that you had the markers? Right. So all of that information just really just flew over my head when I was a kid because, mm-hmm. you know, I started so young. So I, I'm sure I had all of that data, you know, when I was 13. But God knows what a 13 year old is going to do with that information. I was worried about, you know, Pokemon and the girls sitting across from me in history class. And so once I was, you know, been in the study for 10 something years and and found out that I was type one. Then we went back and looked at the data and my wife, who, you know, very responsible, she went and kind of uh, analyzed a lot of it and found out I did have some of the markers. I did have some of the antibodies. So the writing was sort of on the wall if I was looking for it. Yeah. You just weren't really looking, I guess. I mean, at that age, well, it just makes a lot of sense. Um, hey, can I get you to mute your phone and take it off the yes. table and take it off the yes, tabletop? Yes. Thanks. Yes, yes. I don't think the people yeah. listening care. It just my brain jumps and then I have to start over again. Yeah, no, exactly. hundred percent. That, that ding alarm. You're like, Oh man, do I have an email that I have to get back to suddenly? <laughs> um, but you know, I don't know. You might need that phone for, are you using a glucose monitor? Uh, no, actually I am as low tech as you could get currently. I'm on MDI and yeah, just, uh, finger sticks, just real low tech currently. How old are you now? So I'm 32 as of now. So, so this diabetes thing is really new for you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm only a couple years into it. Um, but when when I got to that trial net and they told me, they're like, hey, you know, your numbers are out of whack. Um, and then suddenly I realized, oh, I probably have been suffering from this for a little while. So yeah, I was definitely a late bloomer. Probably got it when I was 31, maybe 30. Is when my pancreas really started um, quitting on me. Yeah. And so uh, do you have feelings about technology? Are you trying to avoid it? Are you thinking of doing it? Like, where are you at? No. So when I got diabetes, um, I was – and started listening to – well, when I found out I was uh, diabetic, I um, stayed at my brother's place and I spent probably like seven days just reading every hospital um, – you know, protocol procedures that they would use because at the time I was without a job, didn't have insurance, paying out of pocket, um, wasn't, um, something super doable for like the, the more advanced technologies, but no, I'm listening to the benefits of technologies. I think that I would be remiss to not give them attempt. So as I've been in Costa Rica at my new job, I'm new school, new insurance stable for the last six months or so, a few months ago, I, um, started contacting my endocrinologists um, to put me in contact with the people that have mm-hmm. um, pumps. And more specifically, I'm really looking forward to getting a continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. But the technologies in Costa Rica right now aren't where we would like them to be. And so I, I guess this is kind of time sensitive, but um, we're currently in um, the kind of COVID crisis. So it's a little more difficult to get the technologies that I would like, but in the future, yes, that the next step is, um, continuous glucose monitor for sure. I just wasn't, you know, I don't have a judgment about it. There's plenty of people who manage really well without anything. It's, you know, it's not a life I'm good at, but you know, there's plenty of people who tell me they are. Uh, Yeah. I, I I, I understand that. It just, it's such a trade-off because you're just going to have to, to get the numbers that I would like to get. I just have to finger stick more often. I have to have a lower carb diet, you know, I have to exercise at certain times in certain places. I just I have to do a little bit more to get the numbers that I want to, um, because I'm lower tech. But no, that that would definitely be the, a huge benefit to be able to have a pump and more specifically a CGM. Right. 
So I want to go back a little bit, and I just feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask if you're Mormon. Uh, no, no. No. Okay. Just a- because there have been so many Mormons on the show, and really? they always are telling a story about going somewhere to teach or to help somebody, and I just thought... You know, why don't I just get this out of the way and find out up front? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and and I, I'm beginning to think it's the um, it is the preferred diabetes podcast for uh, the Mormon religion. But uh, so I'm trying to understand a little bit what draws you to leave the country and go help somewhere else. Like, tell me your whole path around that. Yeah. So I think that you're looking at it a little more altruistically than I was. I think that I was just finishing college and I'm like, hey, I want to go. I want to go travel the world. I want to go see stuff. I want to go. So I thought, well, I can teach because I was teaching as a substitute teacher in California. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, I have a substitute teaching credential. That's plenty. That's enough to get my foot in the door in a developing country. So um, I looked at a few different places I wanted to go. Asia seemed fun because it just seemed kind of like the opposite of all the things and places that I knew as I grew up. So I was like, okay, let's go somewhere with a low cost of living. Thailand, Bangkok seemed like a perfect fit. And then once I was there, I kind of saw the limit of how far you can go with, you know, a a basic teaching credential. So that's when I was able to get my master's, my teaching credential abroad. And then with that, I was able to travel to these other different countries to continue teaching at international schools. Okay. So you were just looking to be somewhere kind of chill and warm and, and and still do your job. Yeah, just looking for a sense of adventure because, you know, the, the teaching racket in California or in America, it is what it is. But if I could do that in some, you know, exotic locale, then it seemed so much more appealing to me. No kidding. Oh, that's that's pretty amazing. And you found a person who was willing to do that with you, too. Yeah. I always joke that she's my Thai bride because we met in Thailand. But she's, you know, a f- farm-raised girl from Idaho. And we met out there playing Ultimate Frisbee one day. And we just hit it off and just started dating, you know, right then. Wait, you met in Thailand? Yeah, we met okay. in Thailand on an army base, throwing frisbees to each other, and uh, yeah, we just started dating. And one thing led to another, and we decided that we wanted to move to our next, you know, teaching location together, which was Cairo, Egypt. And I think we're six months or so into that, and I said, "Hey, do you want to hike across America? Do you want to? Yeah, do you want to try to do this twenty-five hundred mile hike across the United States?" And she's like, "Sure, yeah, sounds great." And then a week later, I was like, "Hey, do you want to take a year off to try to do that?" And she's like, "Yeah, sure." And then a couple weeks later, I was like, hey, do you want to well, – this is on the Nile River on a little boat. I'm on my knee. I'm like, hey, do you want to marry me? She's like, sure. So I was like, okay, these are all lining up. got my partner for life. Let's go do it. Do you – would you consider yourself someone who has wanderlust? Do you just want to keep – Yeah, but I'm also, I'm also a big home buddy. Like this, this COVID quarantine, I haven't hated it. You know, it's given me lots of time to like do all the things I want to do, giving me lots of you know, time and space. Um, but no, I definitely love that, you know, uh, that sense of adventure. I love, you know, collecting passport stamps. I think we're up to 50 right now. Each of us, she has five more countries than me and we always travel together. So I don't know how I'm going to catch up to her, but, um, yeah, so we, we do love traveling to new places, seeing new things. That's really interesting. I, so you're on a, you're like quite literally on the Nile when you decide I've drug her all over the place. She said yes to everything. She'll marry me is probably like a no brainer. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she said yes so far to all these crazy ideas. What's one more? So I'll whip out the craziest one now. Um, how crazy was it when the diabetes, I mean, it sounds like you guys probably just rolled with it, but was it an impact for her when you were diagnosed? You know what? She, I always say she's smart of me. She said maybe six months before we left Egypt, I'm just like, we're watching a movie and I peed like three times during the movie. 
And she, and I was like, man, man. I, and I always attribute it because Cairo, Egypt is rather polluted. And um, it's a, yeah, it's frankly, it's a polluted city. Mm-hmm. And so I was assumed that, oh, it's the air quality. It's the poor water. It's, it's this or that. And it's the third time I'm getting up during the movie. She's like, hey, maybe you have diabetes. Kind of half jokingly. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to get that till I'm older or something. I had some you know, stupid throwback line at her. Right. Um, and then lo and behold, she was right the whole time. Did she know about your brother? Yes. Okay. So she was aware of you know, my brother and the whole thing. It's interesting. I'd love to know if she was doing her diligence behind the scenes. Like, I like this guy. I'm going all over the place with him. He's going to ask me to marry him at some point. I wonder what this diabetes is because it sounds yes, like it uh, sounds like she knew about it. You know. Yes, a hundred percent. I'm. She's great at googling things behind our back or you know my back, and so I'm sure that she was googling like, hey, like losing weight, peeing all the time. Those are symptoms. What could be the? And then of course, you know, you're going to come across type one diabetes as one of those. So. And then she knew that my brother was. So, yeah, she put one and one together far more quickly than I was willing to accept. I would never look at Kelly's Google history because I'm afraid it would say stuff like, <laughs> why is this guy an idiot? And how do you who do, how do I sneak away in the middle of the night or, you know, smother a person with a pillow? Like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, if you know her longer, you'll be you'll be more concerned. Uh, well, she had plenty of opportunities on trail to smother me or push me into a black bear or something. <laughs> push me into a black bear <laughs> i don't know why i found that so amusing um it seems like yeah, a- i think the, the 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 most dangerous was she hikes faster than me so she's always you know 20 feet in front of me so she pisses off all the rattlesnakes and whatnot they're sleeping she walks by pisses them off and then i come stumbling through and there's these rattlesnakes just ready to start nipping at you those are the times where i'm like katie do you love me i'm interested do, you, do you, have you ever said to her what if we walk together? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, I guess. But she can't. My wife can't either. When I go out in public with my wife, she's you have to keep up with her. Yeah. Like she's motoring yeah. along and you're like, hey, mm-hmm. are we in a race that I'm not aware of? Right, right. <laughs> I just tell her, I'll see you at the next water source. I'll see you at the next campsite. I'll get there when I get there. Yeah, dude, she's trying to leave you somewhere. So, um, <laughs> so you know, so you're in Thailand. You end up in Egypt. You... I guess you finally do come home, you get diagnosed, and then you go on your hike through the through the trail. Is that right? Yeah. So I was I, my they gave me a test kit right then, and I just started religiously checking my blood sugars, and I was hovering around one hundred, maybe one ten. So with I naively thought with with diet, if I eat a ketogenic diet, if I keep it low carb, and I'm you know stay super hydrated, you know maybe I can keep these numbers at bay. I thought that maybe I was the one percent of one percent of type ones that have these exigent circumstances that can allow them to do this, that, or the other. You know, I was doing, I was googling stem cells, and I was looking for every avenue I could to do anything other than face the fact that I'm gonna need to get on insulin, start doing things the right way. Yeah. Did you speak to your brother in that time frame? Oh yeah, yeah. Religiously, I was constantly calling him, like, "Hey, what's up with this? How, how does this work?" And so it was. I think that if I didn't have a brother that was type one and I didn't know the ins and outs of type one diabetes, that I never would have gone on trail and tried to hike a thousand miles with, you know, a decreasingly functioning pancreas. Gotcha. Did he give you any advice in that time that you ignored, but you look back on now and think that was the right thing right there? Right. So he gave me some advice, but he honestly, um, I've been, since I've become a type one diabetic, I've been really hounding him to read this article, read this book, go listen to these three podcasts, because I, I find that he got a lot of that don't die advice mm-hmm. from hospitals. 
you know, I talked to him. I was like, hey, what were your numbers when you were, you know, 15? And he's like, oh, my endo said keep it at 130 and just go from there. Um, so he got a lot of, again, that don't die advice that you get from a hospital protocol to, that's not really going to keep you at the numbers that you'd like to with control, but it's just to keep you, for, keep you out of the emergency room. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting because he got it at a different time, you know, mm -hmm. in history and at a different age. And I was mm -hmm. wondering if, if he was going to be the one who was like, listen, here, here's the skinny on this. Or if you were going to look at him and go, wow, I'm learning so much. I think maybe he's in a different place than I want to be in. Um, you know, yeah, that's a really good point. He was very instrumental once. So um, I hiked a thousand miles along the Pacific Crest Trail and then winter hit. And so I had this kind of like winter couple months where I was like, what am I going to do? So I flew to Florida to try to hike across Florida and I get about 500 miles across Florida and my numbers just kept creeping up and creeping up. And I was like, okay, this is, this is not working. And I think I was on metformin at one time, which is kind of like a type two diabetes medication right. that an endo prescribed to me. And, and that was working with decreasing effectiveness. So I thought, okay, well, this isn't working. So I called my brother and he was living in Miami at the time. And I'm somewhere in central Florida in the Everglades or what have you. And I said, Hey, Michael, I need you to come pick me up. So he drove out there, picked me up, took me to his place. And I just remember that first unit of insulin when I, you know, shut it up in my butt, I immediately just felt this wave of euphoria this like my body was finally like, Oh, this is what you've needed the whole time. What the hell is wrong with you? Why would you, why'd you wait this long on us? Yeah. And he was very instrumental of giving me proper advice for, um, bolusing, pre-bolusing and, and all the, all the basics that you kind of need laid out in front of you. That's excellent. I, I wonder how many people have that story because I hear it so frequently, you know, I have type one diabetes, but I was diagnosed as an adult and someone gave me metformin. Now, mm -hmm. and you don't need, you, were you given metformin because they thought you were type two or because they, because I don't understand otherwise. Yeah. Cause they, I was, I was showing them my numbers and I'm like, okay, well, you're not quite type one yet. You're type one and a half. So this might prolong it. You know, your pancreas might last another week, another month, another six months, year, or what have you. So this might help kind of curb the tide. Yeah. Okay. So they were trying to move you through your honeymoon without insulin. Yes, exactly. Right, right. Okay. Do in, you, in retrospect, I was going to say, looking you know, putting, back. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, it's like putting duct tape on the Titanic. You know, it was on the way down. It was like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. There's, there's, Just you know, it was on the way out. Yeah. And you should have been using insulin at that point, you think? A hundred percent. In retrospect, as soon as I found out, I should have driven to Mexico or driven to Canada, loaded up on insulin, and then, you know, tried to do what I was going to do. Right. Which is actually what we did because we, um, in between uh, that kind of winter, my wife uh, and I, we met in Thailand again to kind of visit some friends. And I thought, well, Thailand's insulin is so cheap. Let me just run by some pharmacies. And I was just getting it for a fraction of the price, essentially. Gotcha. John, are you stacking plastic cups while you're talking to me? What's going on? No, I got, I got a cute little kitten and she's going crazy. So I removed her toys. <laughs> so we should be, it should be quiet. We've had a little quarantine kitty, which has been really fun, but uh, yeah, noisy. You gave birth during this quarantine? <laughs> Something like that. How did you get it? Uh, how did you get the kitten delivered to you? Airdrop? Uh, well, there's, yeah, well, there's um, unfortunately just a million cats on Facebook that need adoptions. So we found a little cat that's mother died and oh. that, you know, the owner was happy to deliver it on over. So yeah, we got a little cat. So is that kitten an indication that you're not going to be traveling the world anymore? 
Uh, no, we really want to try to travel the world as much as possible, but we do want to have kind of a home base. And we're actually hoping that's kind of going to be in a bit of an adventure cat. So she's a kitten right now, but we got a little halter and a little leash and stuff. And we're slowly taking her out to the parks and walking her around a little bit. Hopefully we're going to get her into a little cat that can hike trails with us. So so the plan is that this kitten one day will be a cat who's sitting in a boat in Egypt when you say, hey, I think we should have a baby. And, yeah, exactly. And, That's the plan. <laughs> that girl's going to get tired of you at some point, John. <laughs> <laughs> one, at one point, she's going to say, enough is enough. <laughs> John, do you have any ideas that involve you cutting the lawn on Saturday? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, how about you go fix the garage? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so you really see you're an you're a free spirit, John. Like you I have to tell you, I don't I like my dogs fine, but I if you if I want to sleep past 7:30, I can't own a dog. It's it's that it's that impactful. And in I'm trying to imagine a world where I'd be like, I'm going to travel still. We'll take the pets with us. I think that's a special person that has that thought. And it's not you're not um you're not not thinking it through. You understand the impact of it and you're actually you're up for it. Yeah, no, 100%. In fact, um this cat to me is kind of just a little dry run for the diabetic dog that I really want to get. I want to get like a young hungry mutt and do the best I can to train it to smell my blood sugar and then I'll have, you know, a super fun diabetic dog that can take hiking with me and like a cool, yeah, cool animal for life. Have you heard my episode with the guy that did that yes. trained his dog himself? You did. Yes. This yes. Hundred percent. So this podcast is 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 ruining your life, John. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I my my real my real question here is, um, in your initial like correspondence to me, you were telling me about the you know the the diagnosis and then right off onto the trail and how the podcast was helping you back then. Can I ask how you found it? Oh yeah, it was tremendous. So I had exhausted all of the, I had read all of the hospital protocols that they have for people with type one. And I listened to every Ted talk and I was like, okay, well I'm a glutton for podcasts. So there has to be a diabetic podcast out there. And I listened to a few and then I found juice boxes. Like, okay, this one's resonating with me. This is kind of your easy come, easy go disposition was kind of in line with my temperament. So I was like, okay, this is this one can work. And then hearing the numbers and the technology and the lifestyle that people were using and living in, I was like, oh, this is super tangible. Like I can do the things I want to do while still being a type one diabetic and you know going everywhere I want to go and doing everything I want to do. I'm not going to let, you know, type one be the thing that I use as the excuse. Because I mean I use plenty of other things as an excuse. I just don't want type one to be my excuse. I don't want to make you so bold, John, that you're trying to travel the world with a caravan of puppies and kittens, though. Like, you have to be a little reasonable. You understand, right? Yes. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, and I think one of the things that I've been able to figure out along the way is, you know, how to manage insulin and testing and all those things moving from country to country, you know, on a road trip, on a hiking trip, on planes, having to manage all of those things. It's, yeah, it's just been trial by fire, essentially. So was the podcast more about attitude for you or are you picking up management ideas too? Because you have no technology, so it's interesting. Yeah, so uh, yeah, the technology parts just made me envious. And, you know, actually the way I kind of thought about it, I was like, I'm going to hit those same figures. I'm just going to do it with low tech. If that means I have to check my blood sugar a million times a day, then that's what I'm going to do because I want, I want, I, yeah, I kind of demand of myself to hit these numbers, hit these quotas. So I'm hearing the numbers that people are able to get with 
a continuous glucose monitor and, and you know, uh, an Omnipod or a pump. And I thought, well, I should try to do the same thing even if I'm low tech. So it took a lot more work and a lot more, um, yeah, it just took a lot more work. But, you know, I, I was still able, I'm looking at my A1C numbers. When I was um, kind of untreated, I was at a seven and then I brought it down to a five, three. And now I've been at about a six, the last couple were at a six. And those are significantly higher than I would like, but I kind of dabbled in vegetarianism and veganism for a minute, but I found it to be super unsustainable just because it was so high carb. Okay. But um, yeah, I have been able to essentially hit some of those numbers I've been trying to. How much um, intensive time is spent getting that five or that six with the with the vegetables, or are you in a rhythm now? Now I'm a bit, a bit in a, of a rhythm where I know, uh, I, I, I think specifically for myself, it was be able to have some foods that I know what they're going to do. And then when I do miss the mark, I have a handful of, you know, little tricks or tips that I use to kind of move my blood sugar the way that I need to. Mm -hmm. So there's always a yoga mat. I'm always, uh, I love cold showers. So I know I can move my blood sugar 10, 20 points at any point if I want to by taking a freezing cold shower or doing some jumping jacks or hopping on my bike or doing like, I love playing Frisbee. So my wife and I always go throw a Frisbee at the park. So I'm trying to do all of the other peripheral things to try to keep it in line. If, if I can't do it with the tech that I have. Who told you about the cold shower? I've never heard that one. Oh, that one. Um, I think it was just some kind of hippie guru thing. His name's Wim Hof. He's kind of um, just some like yogi, cold water. It, it's kind of one of those heat shock proteins and cold shock proteins. I think there's a good bit of science backing those up. So I love taking super hot showers where I'm just just sweating bullets the whole time, kind of like a sauna. If I had a sauna, I would do that. Mm -hmm. Or a cold shower can move it the same. Or I find that if you know a couple downward dogs on a yoga mat can move what I need to move, you know, in varying degrees. So I, I'm trying to use all those other kind of physical tools to move my blood sugar when I need to, because I'm not currently with the technology that I would like to have. That's interesting. I hadn't heard the cold side. I I have heard a, quite a bit about sauna, dry heat, um, and that mm -hmm. and that heat shock uh, being good for you. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't know the other part of it. And obviously the activity is just, you know, it's right there. Arden's working out more since we've been trapped in the house, uh, doing, mm -hmm. doing more intensive workouts. And, you know, if she, there's either we have to manipulate her insulin prior, she has to take some sort of a snack going into it, or, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have to, you know, she has to time it after a meal and sort of let the meal help with it because, you know, she can see 70 or 80 points pretty quickly come off her blood right. sugar with a workout. Yeah, 100%. I can recall you talking about being out all day with Arden for a softball tournament in you know, the blazing heat for, you know, five, six, seven hours. And while I was trying to do the same thing, hiking, you know, a marathon a day, every day, day after day, I was trying to do those same things. But with the limited technology, it just took so much more management. Yeah. So, like if I'm up in the mountains, am, am I lightheaded because there's no oxygen up here or am I lightheaded because I'm low? So in all of those situations, when in doubt, I would just test it out. How often do you think you test? Now, oh, sometimes it's as low as five, six times a day. But when I was on trail, sometimes it'd be 20, 25, 30. And that, was, and that was necessary. You found that you never were like, oh, I'm doing this too much. This was what was needed. 
you know, it's funny because when I talked to kind of an old school endocrine, he was like, oh, test, you know, test once before a meal and three hours after. And I was like, well, I'm testing, you know, 10, 20 times a day. He's like, oh, that's too much. And I'm like, well, my number's going to be not, my number's going to be off if I'm not testing that much with the things that I'm trying to do. Yeah. I think when they say that back then, their expectation was that your blood sugar was going to go somewhere around 300 and then drop back down again. So you might as well not pay attention while it's high because it's going to be high anyway. Um, right. And then if it's high three hours later, once the food's out of you, then it's okay to try to fix that number. And that's just a, you know, obviously an old way of looking at it. So you took a new way of thinking without the technology and applied it. And, you know, I've talked about it before prior to Arden having a Dexcom we tested a lot and, and always in those times where I was like, I, I need to know what's happening now. Not so much about when the food went in that, you know, that model wasn't in my head. It was more about trying to figure out the bigger picture without being able to see a glucose monitor. Right. hundred yeah. percent. And I feel like trying to flesh out that bigger picture is a bit of a challenge with that tech, without that technology. Cause the, the way I kind of envisioned it is like, I, I have a, you guys with your CGMs, you have a graph. So I wanted a graph too, but all my data points were, you know, a finger stick. So I still thought like, I want to know what this graph is doing and not having data points isn't acceptable. So I just got a more finger sticks, got to find out. And your back, but your background, um, is that a way, what am I asking here? Is that a way that your brain always worked or did you make this adjustment for diabetes? Oh, I I think I definitely made this adjustment for diabetes because I think my personality might be a little bit more like, oh, we can brush it under the rug. It's we don't have to address it today. We can put it off till tomorrow. And then when I kind of got hit with diabetes, I was like, there's no waiting for tomorrow for diabetes. It's all user managed. It's it's all falls on me. So I kind of grabbed the bull by the horns in that regard and really took a proactive, proactive approach. And when I do mess it up and I'm lethargic and I you know, didn't pre-bolus for a thing or something and I'm not seeing the numbers that I should, I kind of look at myself in the mirror and I think like, well, there's only one person that can change this. So it's, you got to come from me. Touched by Type 1's annual dance show is happening on November 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Go to touchedbytype1.org to find out more and just go to programs and click on Dancing for Diabetes. November 14th, that's a Saturday, at 7 p.m. Eastern, touchedbytype1.org. Will you be watching the dance program online that day with your brand new Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor telling you what your blood sugar is in real time, showing you what direction it's moving in, letting you know if you need more insulin, less insulin, telling you everything that you need to know? You could be by going to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. And hey, if you're a veteran, Dexcom's covered completely now for veterans in the United States. And all of that information is at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. I can prove it. Dot com forward slash juice box. I'm going to it right now. Boom. Watch us. Get started with the Dexcom G6. You just click on it. On the next page, you fill out a little bit of information Tell them what kind of diabetes you have, because, you know, you could wear Dexcom, too, if you're type 2. And then, right here, the magical part, primary insurance type. You can put your commercial insurance in, your Medicare, Medicaid, or VA healthcare. Check it out today. It is well worth your time. 
My daughter uses an Omnipod tubeless insulin pump and a Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor to manage her type 1 diabetes. And her A1C, with zero diet restrictions, has been between 5'2 and 6'2 for coming up on seven years. Actually, if you'd like to try out that Omnipod, you go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box to get your free no obligation demo sent directly to your home. That's right. Omnipod wants you to wear a demo pod to see if you like it. It's super easy and it's super easy to do. It takes a few moments online. They send it to your house. You or your loved one wears the Omnipod. It's non-functioning, so don't worry. It's just, you know, but it's the actual pump. So you'll feel the weight of it, the size, everything about it. And then you can do all the things that you normally do. Sleep, eat, run, jump, shower. Watch the television Oni, right? Whatever you, whatever your thing is, you do it with the Omnipod on. Soon, in my experience, what you'll find is you forget you're wearing it. And you realize, ooh, tubeless insulin pumping. You mean I could just like get hungry, like a little peckish for one cookie and wander into the kitchen and go, ooh, one cookie, eight carbs. This is nice. And pull out the controller for the Omnipod, which, by the way, is not attached to it because it's completely tubeless. So you're not tethered to anything. And just say to it, uh, eight carbs, button. And then uh, insulin just boop, 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 goes in. It doesn't make the boop, boop, boop sound. That was me. And goes right in. And next thing you know, you're hitting on your cookie. It took no time. You didn't have to inject. You're not connected to a bunch of tubing. You live your life just like you always would. It's amazing. My daughter's been using an Omnipod since she was four years old. She is 16 now. And she's worn one every day. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. Get your free no obligation demo sent directly to your house. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Touched by type1.org. Links are in the show notes. Links are at juiceboxpodcast.com. Head out there and upgrade your deal. I kind of look at myself in the mirror and I think like, well, there's only one person that can change this. You know, that's incredibly commendable, John, because, you know, you've spent most of the time on here so far talking about a carefree idea, you know, lifestyle. Like if you apply data to almost any of your other decisions, the data would tell you to do something different than what you're doing. And, and, And so I was like, that's really kind of incredible that you made that shift just for this, but didn't lose it in the rest of your life. Right. You know what and I, mean? I think I, yeah, hundred percent. And and on that note, I think I tried to parlay this kind of like boo hoo. I have diabetes into no, let's go attack this situation. Let's go move forward proactively. Kind of like you, you echo in this podcast um, pretty frequently. It's like, you have to be proactive about it. You have to be making moves to move into the direction you want to go because there's, it's never going to happen on its own otherwise. Yeah. No, diabetes is a lot like you walking in the woods with your wife. If you get behind you're always, mm-hmm. you're just always chasing and you're never going to catch yeah. up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, it, your wife finding a place to stop for water is basically your body finally, finally, you know, clearing all the food out of your system and hopefully your blood sugar returning to normal and, or, or at least a good starting over place. Um, now mm-hmm. I, I'm a, obviously a, a, a firm believer in being ahead of diabetes. I would much prefer you do something that goes, you know, 
the direction you don't mean it to do, but at least you can say then, all right, well, I did this and I got a little low. Next time I'll know how mm-hmm. to do it better rather than constantly letting diabetes go first. And then you just staring into the abyss wondering, you know, what happened? Because so many things have now happened. You have no earthly way of deciphering all of them. You know, you have to, you have to be ahead of the wave, you know, just constantly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that that proactive kind of not aggressive approach, but kind of like a yeah the, the progressive approach. I think is um, really beneficial for diabetes. And on that note, I, I also try to kind of use diabetes as the reason or the justification to go that little bit extra. To to like this morning, I went for a bike ride. I bought a bike off um, off Craigslist a couple of days ago because just want to be able to get out in the city and kind of move around in the hills. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I'm tired. I should go home. But I saw a church up the hill. I was like, well, you have diabetes. You should probably go bike up to that church and get a little bit more exercise because it won't kill you. Nice. And that and that that was your push. You're just, I yeah. need this exercise for my overall health, specifically because I have type 1. Um, you know, it, it's a bonus otherwise. Uh, right. And I, I think I took that from something that you had kind of said about Arden, I think it was maybe getting ready for summertime. You're like, hey, Arden, what are you going to do over the summer? You can't just, you know, hang out here and watch Netflix all day. You got to go do this, this, or this. And I kind of thought, you know, John, you're lazy if you're left to your own devices. You really got to get this internal fire to keep moving because diabetes is, it's walking either way. You better run faster than it. I'm hearing a Morgan Freeman voice over my head. Left, <laughs> left to his own devices. John is inherently lazy. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like the beginning of Shawshank, right? Yeah, exactly. Luckily, a podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's where it stops. In comes Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott said you should get up. Doesn't take his own advice, by the way. Just tells John and his daughter and anybody else who's listening. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and I'm taking all the little cheap tricks I can, like whatever. Like I heard some cheesy motivational quote the other day. I was like, motivation is like a shower. It doesn't last. You need a new one all the time. And that's kind of the way I feel about motivation. I'm always trying to channel some tip or trick or even if it's some chintzy little thing, if it gets me to do the thing that I should have been doing already, then it was a success. Whatever works, honestly. I mean, quite honestly, like whatever works. If you need to hang up a poster or write it on your hand or you know, put somebody in charge of telling you to move, like whatever it is, make yourself accountable is, mm-hmm. you know, it's f- fascinating. Listen, I've been stuck in this house for, you know, six weeks now. And mm-hmm. the other day I thought, Hey Scott, what if we just didn't eat one day? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what if you mm-hmm. just like tried to like, scale back this, you know, cause it's, it's just, there's, there's times and there's nothing to do. And you do find yourself going like, oh, this is just a cracker. It's just a pretzel, but they're all calories that I wouldn't normally eat. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I don't know. I looked at myself in the mirror one day and I was like, this isn't okay. Like, you know, I, I, I put a couple pounds on since this started and I was already not where I wanted to be. So I just, I, I put it in my mind. I was going to do something. I didn't know what it was going to be. And I saw another person online say, hey, I'm doing a water fast. And I thought, mm-hmm. I, could, I could do that. And so I did a 36-hour water fast, and then I went on intermittent fasting. And I lost seven pounds in like five what? days. You, you, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, and so I'm just like, it's not a, it's no trouble for me. I actually kind of prefer it. Why would I not, why would I not do this more frequently? So now I'm going to wait seven days, and I'm going to hit that, I'm going to do the 36 hours again. And just, you know, put in that and by the way 36 hours you're asleep for eight nine of them anyway it's just one uh-huh. day it's one day of drinking water when your stomach says hey you're hungry 
That's yeah, no, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of that as well. And if I ever have like a blow up meal with, you know, burgers and fries and dessert or whatever, the next morning I'm like, you know, this would be a perfect opportunity to maybe skip breakfast and lunch and then I got a twenty something hour fast going. You know, it's not like I don't have the calories in my system from yesterday's gluttonous meal. Yeah. So let that clear taking those Yeah. I think sometimes yeah. psycho you know, psychologically and maybe subconsciously and maybe not so much. You have that sort of like, I don't know what this to call it, but like you feel like, oh, I've already messed up. I might as well double down, and mm-hmm. instead, and instead of waking up after the fries and the and the and the burger and saying, let me do something a little more reasonable today, you're like, well, let's just go for pancakes. I've already screwed this whole thing up. Right, and, right. There's you, leftover dessert. Let's eat that for breakfast. Yeah, right. And before you know it, you're eating cold pizza off of the counter. <laughs> when, yeah, in when underwear standing when, over the sink when nine hours prior you were literally mumbling to yourself why did i eat all of that pizza uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah exactly and so i've i found that like i get uh especially early in my kind of uh diabetes i was i got really envious i got really jealous and not res- yeah maybe even resentful of people just eating carb laden things all around me and like man i can't i can't do that i'm so jealous and then i realized well i could have a bite of it. Yeah. I can't have, you know, five slices of pizza without, you know, dealing with my blood sugar for the rest of the day, especially without tech. But, you know, I can, I can have a bite. I can have a nibble. I can, you know, there's little things that I can do where I feel almost sated enough without having to blow my blood sugar up. I have a question. Were you a five slices of pizza person prior to diabetes? No, probably so, not. So no, isn't I've that interesting? Been... Then just, it, yeah. it, it really is very reminiscent of, of the, you know, the kind of you know, sheltering in place we're doing right now. There's people who never leave their house for years. They don't care about it. Then suddenly someone tells them they can't leave their house. And they're like, this is bull. (laughs) I, I, I need my freedom. I want to go outside. You never went outside before. What do you even care? But, but you, you, you see people eating food that all of a sudden you think I'm not, you know, quote unquote allowed to have that, which wasn't, you know, which isn't true to begin with. And I could mm-hmm. bullish you through five slices of pizza if you want to try it yeah. sometimes. But um, yeah. but the point, the bigger point is, is that you didn't want the five slices of pizza. You just didn't want to be told you couldn't have them. Yeah, exactly. And it's like that kind of fear of missing out. Like everybody's just eating away carelessly and I have to do all of these things. Boo-hoo, poor me. And then again, trying to channel that into, a, okay, well, how can I use this for like a positive motivating force rather than a boo-hoo, poor me. And Again, like I, I'm very envious and jealous of the people with a good hold of their technology where they can. I know what four or five slices are going to do, so I can have five or six because it's not that far off from you know a few. Um, it's just, so it's I think, a, yeah, no, I'm sorry to cut you off. It's a very important point to make here that you didn't want the five slices until yeah. someone told you you didn't want them. And how often is that happening to people? You know, how often mm-hmm. are they like, oh, I've got this type one diabetes now. Look how it's ruined my life. I can't eat an entire lemon meringue pie. Have you ever done that? Did you ever, <laughs> did you ever once in your life think, you know what I'm going to do today? Lemon meringue pie, whole thing, nine inch pie crust. No one's, you know, no one's ever thought that before. You've never thought that before. And you can't let yourself be kind of pushed around that way by your thoughts because your thoughts often, you know, they're often fighting against you a little bit. You don't you don't realize it all the time. Um, it, it's just it was really interesting when you said that. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, it's that kind of classic FOMO fear of missing out. Yeah, 
Right. If I was younger, I would I would have said FOMO, but I, you know, I'd have to Google that to be sure that it was what I meant, and because there'd be part of me that would think that that was an '80s like grunge band or something, or '90s grunge yeah, band yeah. or something. Even I forgot that grunge was in the '90s just now. I've just I've crested that age where I could just whip out FOMO on my own, you know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Somebody texted me something the other day. It was one of those like four letter acronyms, and I thought. Let me just Google that before I respond to make sure I'm responding properly. <laughs> right, right. Felt- and that's one of the be- that's one of the beauties of teaching middle schoolers. I teach middle school history, and so I'm always up on the latest OK Boomer or whatever, whatever little saying you know that's coming Dig. around. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, you're, digs out there. You're old to them. Where are you teaching right now? So now I'm in the capital city of Costa Rica, San Jose. Do you speak Spanish? Un poco. Um, yeah. So I spoke very little Arabic. And pretty decent tie, and then I've been really working on my Spanish. But that's sort of part of your allure, though. I'm assuming they want you to teach the kids in English. Yeah. So these are, uh, yeah, spoiled international students' kids. So like their parents might have uh, went to a university in Australia or United States or Canada or wherever, and they want their kids to go somewhere similar to that. So they put them in these kind of, um, yeah, spoiled rich kid schools. My sister-in-law teaches children in China online. And she said their their parents are almost always physicians or or very wealthy people, and they're mm-hmm. and they're trying to get them through, um, you know that the education system in China, which apparently is is like a is it's like a one and done thing. Like if you wherever you land at the end is where you land, and it really yeah. it really does impact the the complete rest of your life. Um, right, and it's super rigorous as well. Yeah. Wow. So okay. So you have a Costa Rican cat. I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got a little Tico kitty. Costa Ricans are called Tico, so we got a little Tico kitty. Tico kitty. That's cute. Yeah. I'm writing that down because I think that's amazing. And so far, um, Pushed Into a Black Bear is the name of your episode, so I'm, I'm trying to get away <laughs> from that. <laughs> yeah. So so um, you teach five days a week? How does that work? I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. It's just a regular – if you saw the school, if you saw the kids, if you talked to them on the phone, you wouldn't know that they're in Costa Rica. Um, it's just a super normal school, maybe slightly better. I mean, I started at some really, really impoverished schools and mm-hmm. some really, um, n- maybe not rough situations, but it, they definitely didn't have all the academic supplies that this current school has. But yeah, it's um, it's uh, really, really high level students. They just super on the ball, really supportive students and parents and staff. It, it's a really, really great situation. Super happy to be here currently. Is it a place you could live forever or is it not how you think of it? Oh, no, definitely. We moved here and we we're like, oh, we could be here for, for a while. So I think that we're going to be here for three, four years, have a cat, a little car, a little, uh, little crappy four by four and a surfboard. So we're going to be here for a little while. No kidding. It's one of the places that I always dream about uh, vacationing. And then when I look, I think, oh, I don't speak the language. And um, and then I, I talk myself out of it very quickly. But it's it's... Is it a place? Have you? Do you always feel safe? Yeah, hundred percent. Especially yeah. coming. I mean, uh, growing up outside the Bay Area, you know, California. I mean, I I saw more carjackings in San Francisco, or more attempted muggings in San Francisco than I have in any of the places I've lived abroad. But that again is, if you're in the wrong spot at the wrong time, then you know you kind of brought it on yourself. So yeah, super safe, um, great, relatively good infrastructure. It's fantastic for the region. Um, the 
yeah, the people, that's one of the things I really enjoy about living in Costa Rica currently. It's just the disposition and the friendly nature of the people. And do the, do the municipalities treat the expats well? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, they really enjoy the gringos out here. They, um, they, most gringos that come out here, um, I know that's kind of a racial slur, but they use it down here, the term gringo and gringa kind of, um, in a friendly way, which is different from what I was used to in California, but they really like gringos here. They, it, it kind of, it pushes the economy around a little bit here and there where, you know, gringos come down and they buy a bunch of properties. So the property values might go up or Mm. the buying power of the local currency might go down because of all the influx of cash. But, um, no, it, it's, um, about 30% of their whole GDP is tourism. So they really, really enjoy people coming through. I'm laughing in the back of my mind, feeling like someone went up to you and went, no, no, John, when we call you a gringo, it's good then. Don't worry. You were like, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah. If you say it nice enough, I'll believe you, I guess. <laughs> every time you walk away, there's a group of guys that are like, God, he buys that every time. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway. Yeah, gringos will believe anything, right? <laughs> this guy's such an idiot. I mean, he's nice and all. I like what he's doing with the kids, but why is he so easy to get this over on? <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying. There's, different terminology that in different places can you know it lands it can land much differently um Mm -hmm. that's one of the other things about living here too and just living anywhere abroad is is how remarkably similar it is to the lifestyle that you might lead in the west how so there's i mean we watch netflix there's a gold's gym across the street i could walk to the movie theater in four minutes you know everything's surprisingly normal if you can learn how to say pollo instead of chicken, you can get by. You can live. <laughs> yeah. If you can learn to say pollo frito, if you can order some fried chicken, you'll be okay. And and are you picking the language up just completely organically, just from being around speakers? No, I'm not studious enough to do that. Um, I or maybe no, I'm not immersed enough to do that because. My home life is all English because my wife and I, well, we pepper each other in Spanish, but we're not having long, intricate conversations in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And then my students all speak perfect English and my um, academic studies and the things I teach are all in English. All my meetings, all my administration, all my colleagues are all Western. So uh, I do take the, the school does a really good job of supplying uh, a one or two hour language class once a week. And then there's a million free apps and whatnot. And all the subtitles for everything. We, like if we're watching a Netflix show, we always turn the subtitles on Spanish. So there's little tips and tricks we do here and there to try to catch a new word or two every day. Well, that's kind of brilliant, the subtitle idea. That really is interesting. And, you know, I'm not that you wouldn't, but you have friends? Like you hang out? Like are you? is it just you and your wife back at your place at the end of the day until the next day? Or are you meeting people and, and like branching out socially? Yeah. So uh, again, I play ultimate Frisbee, which has just been a godsend for everywhere I go in every uh, major city. There's an, a big ultimate Frisbee crew. There's a big groups. So everywhere I move, I immediately have a network of friends to plug into right away. I've been playing for 15, eh, 10, 15 years. So I'm a half decent asset to a team. So for example, when we moved to Costa Rica, we went out to the practice, we started playing, we did the best we could. And in that practice, they were like, Hey, we're going to a tournament in Panama two days from today, can you come with us? And we're like, well, I have school in two days. I can't come, but let me know about the next one. And so maybe, I think it was about a couple months ago, my wife and I, we took a bus to Nicaragua to go play in the Frisbee tournament with our team with a bunch of other Central American teams. So I got to 
play with my team, meet new friends, meet new other people in the region. So um, that's one of the really, really valuable ways that I have to kind of connect in with the community. Right. And then also the school does a really good job of um, linking you up with other like-minded folks. I guarantee that no matter how long I do this podcast, no one is ever going to say again, I took a bus to Nicaragua to be in a Frisbee <laughs> tournament. <laughs> yeah, everybody sure. has their niche, right? Yeah, well, no, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure you, you've spoken a sentence no one will ever speak again. That's Well, that's um, incredible, honestly. Like that, And I do I, uh, firmly believe in what you say. And I travel not nearly as much as you, but every time I get somewhere, I think, yeah, this is like everywhere else. Everywhere is like everywhere. You know? And 100%, when every time I go to like a major downtown tourist trap, main street type of place, you see the same mass-produced Chinese tchotchkes at every single high street and every single you know major city. Like if you're in if you're in Chinatown in San Francisco, you're going to see the same things that you would see on the tourist trap street in Costa Rica or in Cairo or in Bangkok. They all have the same kind of mass-produced stuff. And like when you the more you travel, you realize, oh man, things are so similar. You're making me feel like there's a warehouse in China, a production facility, where they walk in on one day and the sign comes up and says Florida. And they're like, today we're going to make stuff that people <laughs> who go to Florida will think has been natively made in Florida. And right. tomorrow yeah. it'll be Thailand. And the next day it'll be here and, you know, stuff that you yeah, I'm, always, I'm wondering that same thing, too, because I feel like I see the same the same, you know, T-shirts, the same mugs, the same, you know, uh, cup holders for sale all around the world. Yes. I have a beautiful little... um. I don't know what you would call it, like a wooden dish that you put on your your desk that holds thumbtacks and like little loose things that don't have anywhere else to go that was bought on an island and definitely made in China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I wonder how many local, yeah, local tchotchkes people have right. mass produced in China. So how does your health insurance work there? How do you get your insulin and everything? The health insurance down here is really good. So um, well, that's, again, that's a product of my school who has um, really good uh, health insurance. So when I found out I was diabetic, it was probably the worst time possible because I was in between jobs, living on savings for that year, trying to do some you know big epic hike. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I don't know how to pay for any of these things. And then it was, uh, I needed all of these prescriptions in America and I couldn't buy anything over the counter and it was prohibitively expensive. So um, it was actually cheaper for us to fly to Thailand. And we also flew to Cairo just to see friends in both both of those locations. And I just stocked up for a couple hundred bucks worth of insulin there. I had a backpack full of Novo Rapid or Lantis or, you know, what have you, um, at each of those locations. Now that I'm here in Costa Rica, we have really good health insurance. So I just walk to the local pharmacy. I pay out of pocket. They reverse me back in USD in a couple weeks or in a week or so. Um, as far as the technology, that's still left leaving something to be desired, but they don't quite have the CGMs here yet. Okay. And so if you wanted to see GM, you'd have to pay cash and have it shipped from America or they won't even do that or will they because you're an American citizen? So they have they have a um I think Medtronic, that's the the big brand, right? Medtronic. Medtronic has the 670G and the um I can't think of their CGM name at the moment. And then there's Dexcom um which is the one Arden uses and I then Libre, which is not a continuous monitor but is one of those ones that you can scan the thing and get the number without testing. Okay, so I think they have the Libre, and then they have a Met, an, an old Metronic or two, and they do not have a Dexcom yet. Okay. So those are some of the CGM technologies that I'll be looking forward to getting in the next six months as, as things open up here. Yeah. 
How will you, when you said you, you'll be there for a number of years, how do you transition back home? Is, is your experience there looked on as like desirable back here when you want to come back? Yeah. So I was able to get like, I kind of saw the ceiling on teaching without credentials in, you know, developing world. I kind of saw that there's a, a pretty low ceiling on kind of your salary level. So I was able to get, um, a master's degree while working abroad from Framingham State University, which is out, uh, out in Boston. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a, again, a Western recognized, you know, full fledged master's degree. And then all of the, all of the schools that I've been working at are Western Association of Schools and Colleges or WASC, or they're WASC approved. That's the, yeah, the big accrediting body. So all of the schools I've been teaching at would transfer to my air quotes, like years of teachings, years of teaching earned. Yeah. Um, so if I did go back to teach in the West, all of that would kind of uh, build up to you know, increase salary and, and job position and what have you. But uh, truth be told, my wife and I don't have any plans on returning moving back to the west anytime soon because we they pay you a ridiculous amount of money to be a teacher in cairo in egypt so we're thinking maybe after some nice cushy years in costa rica maybe we'll go for another cash grab in another developing country interesting i don't want exact numbers john i'm not asking your business but if a teacher in america makes how much a year on average do you think 30 40 50 okay and in costa rica Oh, easy 30, 40, 50. Right. But you get to live in Costa Rica. You and, get to live in Costa Rica and lower cost of living. Right. And so that's. Oh, and they pay for flights to and from wherever you want to go once or twice a year. And they pay for your housing and they pay for your insurance. And, and there's all these other little added bonuses. Like there's a school bus that comes to my front door to pick me up to take me to school every day to and from. Wow. $50,000 in Costa Rica is like how much in California? In California, it would probably be a similar buying power, maybe a little bit more. And and most of our salaries are paid in U.S. dollars. So there's actually this there's this kind of cultural trend in Thailand where people just ask you how much you make and they ask you what your rent is. And at first it was really jarring, but I found it to be really liberating because it only kind of helps the employee to know what they're getting paid and all the people around them. It only kind of adds to the, the abilities of the employee. So I really appreciate um, having this kind of candid open open conversations so in thailand they don't pay you anything because people want to move to thailand Mm -hmm. um so you're looking at that uh without a credential you're looking at uh you know 20 30 with a credential you're looking at that 30 40 50 and if you're at a good school you're somewhere in the 60 70 80 i had a i had a guy that i played a little bit frisbee with he was from iowa he taught physics and he was making 110 a year and again negligible taxes Free flights, free accommodation—you know all these other perks that you know would be un, unheard of in the West currently. Yeah. Why? Why do people want to be in Thailand? What's the attraction? Uh, there's a lot of medical tourism there. Um, it's it's cheap. It's uh, a lot of Australians go there, Russians go there. A lot of anybody on the kind of that region of the world—it's um, really popular there. Gotcha. Okay, so now we we're leading up to asking if if it's thirty, forty, fifty. What is it in Egypt? Oh, it was somewhere, yeah, it was, it was uh, 40, 50 for like an entry-level teacher. But again, there's literally no taxes and every other thing that the school pays for you. So let's say your base salary is 40, 50,000, and then they're paying you 800 bucks or 900 bucks a month in rent. And so if they're paying my wife and I each, 
800, 900 bucks a month in rent and we're spending, you know, 700 bucks in rent between the both of us, then, you know, it's just cash in hand. I see. Oh, and then there's such a, there's just no taxes. So you're, you're really bringing that money back with you. Yeah. And, and for example, their Uber Eats there in Cairo, like I would order maybe three or four or five shawarmas, like a, their kind of Middle Eastern burrito. I'd order, you know, 20 of those a week and they're maybe 60 cents a piece delivered hot, fresh to your front door. Wow. So there was just a, yeah, there's a multitude of things that made it really easy to live there. Conversely, there are some, um, geopolitical things and some cultural things that make it slightly less appealing to live there, which is why it's considered air quotes, a hardship position, which again, makes you that much more marketable when you go to another spot. And you're willing to do it. Is it that our Westerners not as welcome there as they are in Costa Rica? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's one way of putting it. Um, also it, it was really troubling for a really good example. Of this was, um, my wife and I, we would, you know, travel around together and you just kind of got stared at all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I went to a Frisbee tournament in Dubai. My wife got sick because she got sick a lot there just because the, it's kind of, again, a slightly polluted or rather polluted city. Yeah. And when I was traveling through the airport and, you know, going through customs, all these things, I just suddenly not getting stared at and I just felt like I just flowed through the airport and got no friction at all. And then I came back and I told her, I was like, Hey, Katie wife, um, it was just so smooth moving through the airport. And she's like, well, yeah, it's terrible for me moving anywhere without you. And I thought, Oh, it's so much easier for me to move without you because there's just a lot of, um, unwanted attention towards Western women oh, or she's unveiled not, women. She was yeah, so she's got a lot, yeah, a lot of sexual harassment. I see. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, she, well, she's, probably looks naked to them even when she's dressed right <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. interesting and cairo is such a dense city yes. like it is really those buildings are right on each other it's uh -huh. really fascinating. Um, it's it's arguably the most densely populated city in the world it's got about 22 million people so it's one of the largest population centers in the whole world and with little to no infrastructure it's yeah it's it's a good challenge wow and but you but it's but it's worth it because you're it'd be a little more money and it sounds like you're up for the challenge. Yeah. And it was such a great experience. Like, uh, when we moved to Costa Rica, we got to know all of our colleagues and we would just listen to them complain like, Oh, Costa Rica is this and this is wrong with Costa Rica. And we're like, well, you, do you know how much worse it could be? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was, the, I was, that was our takeaway. I was like, man, yeah, I guess things aren't perfect, but you know, you could be in a situation that's, a lot less desirable than than this one. Okay. Well, you're doing great work, man. It's really it's a special kind of person who'd be who's willing to travel around like that and put up with, you know, what your wife described and and uh, you know, just just I, I mean, I want to be more honest. I, I think it's I don't think everyone's got it in them to just go somewhere that they can't imagine in their mind. You, you know what I mean? Like getting there initially, there's so many fears. Like I had a, I had a question that was based on fear earlier that I didn't ask you. And I thought I was going to ask you if you had a medical condition, would you want to come home? But that's just my, you know, probably um, baseless feeling that things are just better in America. Um, right. And there are so many things that are air quotes better in America. Um, there are a lot of things that you can get an equivalent version of. So for example, um, while playing Ultimate Frisbee again, I blew up my ACL um, just before, I think it was a, like a month before 
we moved from from Bangkok, Thailand to Cairo, Egypt. So I'm completely hobbled up. My wife has to move all of our stuff from one apartment to another and pack it all up to move to Cairo. And meanwhile, I'm getting an ACL surgery and I was kind of worried, like, do I go back home to do it? Do I get it done here? And so I started looking into the type of medical treatment I could get in Thailand for a significant operation like that. And I found a doctor that does nothing but ACL surgeries. He worked for the Thai national soccer team. He's been doing it for 30 years. He used all of the latest medical technology, um, big GE, um, you know, uh, MRI machines, like all of it was, you know, uh, top of the line stuff. And I think it cost me three grand out of pocket. (laughs) Yeah. I, all I can imagine while you're telling that story is your wife packing up that apartment and thinking this guy's a real treat i'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) just wait just wait till i ask her to hike across america with me (laughs) (laughs) that's great well i mean listen i'm sure there are things that are that are i don't know what the i don't think the word is better but you're accustomed to it there are things here that people here are accustomed to uh would feel different going somewhere else it's a special person who can just make that leap and be accepting like that do you have uh, we're we're at an hour and I, i can't keep you much longer but do you have any perspective on why that is? Did you grow up with like hippie parents or like where did you get that feeling from? Hmm. You know, I think a lot of it came down to reading uh, reading a few books and then also being kind of immersed in situations that I wouldn't have desired them to be like that. So I think I think a good example of this was like two weeks into Cairo, we're driving 90 minutes across the city and the driver, I'm in the back seat, the Uber driver didn't buckle in his seatbelt. So his car had this automated ding, 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 and it would go off every 10 seconds for a 90 minute car ride. Mm-hmm. And instead of asking him to buckle in his seatbelt or do something that, you know, he wasn't clearly wanting to do, he was happy to live with that thing. I thought, okay, well, I can try to change the situation to make it the way I want to, or just accept it and try to enjoy it the best I can. So I found that to be a really good meditative practice to try to just uh, enjoy the situation I'm in regardless of the circumstances. Right. And if there's circumstances that I want to, if I need to change them, then, you know, be proactive about changing them. But if there's something that you're not willing or able to change, then just accept it for what it is. Because the driver's not bothered by the dinging. So there's obviously a way to be Zen about it, right? It's, right. It, what is it about you that, listen, I'm going to, first of all, tell you, I, I would vote for, I don't want it to ding, but, it, but if <laughs> yes. it's, if it's going to, then there must be a way to teach to talk yourself into not wanting to be upset by it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is the same thing for the travel, just the idea that this is going to be different, but I don't have to react to that feeling I have inside, like, oh, this is different than what I'm expecting. It makes it wrong. Right. And yeah. bringing that full circle back to diabetes, back to type one, you know, it's not the situation that many of us would have chosen or any of us would have chosen. But you still have to deal with the situation as it lays right now. And having kind of a positive and proactive approach can at least give you the feeling that things are okay. Yeah. And at some point, I would tell you that after enough time, you know, I don't want to overuse something people say all the time, a new normal, but it Mm -hmm. really does become you're accustomed to it. And then it shouldn't. I, I think of pump site changes is an example of this that you wouldn't know about yet, but they happen regularly on some sort of a, you know, you know, every few days, like, you know, situation for you, you're on a schedule and Mm -hmm. it, in the beginning, 
I know at least for me, and I've seen it for Arden, you do get that feeling like, oh, here it comes. Like, it's that thing I have to do again. But really, Mm -hmm. it isn't much different than what we were talking about before, right? And so at some point, you just give yourself over to the idea that this happens on this schedule. And if I expect it and I tell myself it's not a ding, 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 it's just it's what it is. And I'm not bothered by it anymore. I've, mm-hmm. I haven't had that feeling in years, but in the beginning I did. And it was that feeling of, I don't want this to be happening versus this is happening and I don't see it as bad. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so 100%. Well, John, I really appreciate you doing this and for reaching out. And I mean, it's a magnificent story. Um, and Yeah, you- well, I was, I'm really appreciative that I could just give back in some small way to kind of the the resource that had given me so much when I really needed it. So I was, you know, happy to touch base with you. I appreciate that. I also, if four years from now you've been using for a pump and a glucose monitor for a while, come tell me, I'd love to have you back on again. That'd make an, an, an interesting, uh, full circle. Yeah. I'll call you back from the next country. Yeah. Where, yeah. Wherever. Don't, don't even guess where it could be. Could be anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Leave it up. To, we'll leave it up to be decided. All right. Listen, that cat's going to kill you in your sleep one day, just so you know. They, <laughs> Probably. They say the only difference between house, cat, house cats and lions is that the house cat knows it can't overpower you. If it could, right. it, would, it would come right. for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, mini lion. Yeah. 100%. If only, if only it was, if it felt like it could get you, it would take a shot, John, just so you know. <laughs> right. Right. Dogs, man, best friend. Cats are just putting up with us. Yeah. No kidding. That's uh, wonderful. Hey, really, thank you so much for doing this. And thanks so much to Dexcom, Omnipod, and Touched by Type 1 for sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Don't forget, that Dancing for Diabetes program for Touched by Type 1 is coming up soon. Go to touchedbytype1.org, go to programs, click on Dancing for Diabetes, you'll see it right there. Check it out. And of course, to get that free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump, you go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Then head right over to dexcom.com forward slash juice box to learn more and get started with the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. Hey everyone, it's Scott. As 2020 starts to wind down here, I just wanted to say thank you. The podcast, I'm looking now at the statistics for the podcast, and I'm realizing that since 2018, there's only been three months that didn't do better than the month previous to it. And when that happens, it only happens by like a percent or two. It's uh, absolutely fascinating to watch the growth of the show. And that's completely because you all share the podcast with other people. And so I wanted to tell you what that does when you tell someone else about the show and it grows and other people find it. Uh, this is from the private Facebook group for the podcast. It's called Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. I was referred to the podcast by a mutual T1D. My son was diagnosed two years ago in August at the age of eight. He is now 10 and in my opinion, has made leaps and bounds in managing and and administering his own MDIs within two weeks of diagnosis. Don't get me wrong, there's been some very hard and struggling times, but after listening to several of these podcasts as a parent of a type 1, I paused and thought, this is exactly what I needed to hear. We are not the only ones. The other people are doing the same things we are, day in and day out. 
so please keep up the great work and the show. An adult comes in and says that not only are they a nurse and thought they were going to be great at managing their type 1 diabetes, but it turns out that, you know, that's not how that worked. My BG levels are all over the place with extreme highs and unexpected lows. Simple things like doing yard work and walking around a mall caused me to come crashing down. But thankfully, I found the Juicebox podcast through another Facebook site, and it has opened my eyes to a new way of managing my diabetes. I have been so afraid of being bold with insulin because I live alone and I work in a fast-paced environment. I'm constantly worried about going low at night or having a seizure, so I live on the high side. This podcast has taught me so much and has given me the tools and the confidence to try to keep my BG in a tighter range. Thank you to all of the Juicebox podcast followers for your knowledge and kindness. These messages come through Facebook. I get them on Instagram. Uh, They come as podcast reviews, mostly on Apple Podcasts. Here's one from that. The type 1 community is somewhat small, and when you're newly diagnosed, there just aren't a lot of people you can talk to and learn from. I found this podcast early on, and I couldn't be more thankful for it. I know we wouldn't be doing so well just three months into diagnosis had I not decided to listen. So it doesn't matter how you share, if it's in person, on Facebook, Instagram, some other way, as long as you're telling other people about your experience, they have an opportunity to have the same experience. And then the show grows, and it reaches more and more people. The more people it reaches, the more people are able to support the sponsors, then the sponsors want to continue to support the show, and then you continue to get more show. It all is just one big ecosystem. And uh, I guess it's one little ecosystem, honestly. But uh, it's the right kind of ecosystem, the kind that helps. So I really appreciate all of your support, that you listen so fervently, and that you're sharing the show with other people. It's, um, It's incredibly touching. I wish you guys could all get these messages. They're heartwarming. No kidding that these messages, um, seeing people's happiness, health, getting a text from Jenny yesterday about, she's like, I want to do more to help people, that kind of stuff. It fills my heart. It's um, great for my soul. And I hope you are having a similar experience with it. 